Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League, powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. All right, Steph, did you miss me after that two-week break? Oh, it's more than you know. It's kind of tough so to be, much. It's kind of tough to be away from me for two weeks, but I, I have a confession to make. I think we, we made a little bit of a mistake over these last two weeks. What's that? I think we, uh, we, let, we left the soup out to dry. It seems like it's getting a little bit cold. Oh, boy. Jack Campbell, what's going on with this man? Over yeah, the f- he's... Man, like over the first third of the season, he had an NHL best 10 wins, safe percentage of 940 in keeping with Shesterkin, goals against average... Uh, 1.63, the second most shutouts in the league for a while. A lot of people were saying it was between him and Shesterkin for the Vesna. What what's happened? I don't know, and and rightfully so, he was in that conversation. Yep. He was having a a great year. Leafs fans felt confident in their goaltending. Well, with respect to Freddie Anderson, we never felt this confident about our goaltending in the past five to ten years. Yeah, um, if we take it back to last year too, when he took over the reins for Frederick Anderson, remember he had that like ten or eleven historic 11, game yeah. winning streak with a nine thirty plus save percentage. You know, everyone, including me, thought that that wasn't a big enough sample size, and we were pretty anxious to see what Jack Campbell would have done at the start of this year. But then he comes out and does what he does, and Lee fans are going, "Damn, we got a guy for the long term." Yeah. And since January first, it's been a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, like, well, we've seen teams flip like this, yep. like, on their heads, especially as Leaf fans, but I haven't seen, like, a, a player do this or a goalie have such a different second half of the season. It's a little bit concerning. I, I do have confidence that he'll find his form. Me too. But, like, let's just look at this. So, since January 1st, yep. their expected goals against in total has been 69.86. Okay. So that's their expected goals against, but their actual goals against is 95. Wow. So that's 20 over 25 more goals than expected. That that could be construed as defense yep. or goalie or both, but either way, that is that's not a a good sign. Very very concerning. So from that same time point, January 1st, Jack Campbell as Stephen Brown alluded to last episode has been 31st out of 32 goalies in the league with respect to save percentage or something like that. It's been sub nine with a goals against above three and a half. And by the way, his backup, Pedram Razik, is not helping him at all. Yeah. He's like 20th in the league since that time as well with a save percentage of like 850. It's just, it's a mess. Like when we think about it, like what do you think is the biggest problem for Jack Campbell in net right now? Well, he, he said a couple of, maybe it was dating back to last week, he gave a press conference, said that it was mental. Yep. Right. So that's, never something you want to hear but i think the good thing is that it's fixable mm-hmm. you, you can get your confidence back and get your momentum back um i think it is a lot mental as a goal is a very mental position you have to be confident um, that you're going to save every puck and when you don't you become a sieve that happens all the time yep. but now i want to ask you a question he's just been put on the ir for a couple of weeks with a rib injury jack campbell yeah just what? got put on just earlier earlier today we we're recording on Thursday the 10th, do you think this two-week break now can do him some good? That's actually a really good point. I think the answer to that question is yes. You know, Jack Campbell has been very adamant in interviews that he is very hard on, hard on himself yeah. with respect to games. He says that even games where he'd win like 3-1 and stop like 40 or 42 pucks, he would like lament over those two goals and he would not critique himself constructively, but in a way that he admits was detrimental towards his, his mental health, especially in net. So he says he's been doing a better job, like looking at 
um, his gameplay from a more constructive point of view. He's apparently working with some with some coaches to do that. And I uh, hopefully you would you would hope that over this two weeks, without the need to like work out or to be on the ice, he takes priority to to get that better. And yeah, what what you never want to see a player get hurt. But if there was a two week hiatus that he needed, I, I think now's the time. Yeah, for sure. And you made a great point about just mindset. Of course, you want to be hard on yourself to a degree and expect the best, but there's a, a tight rope you have to walk as an athlete or as anybody who wants to achieve goals where if you're too hard on yourself, you can spiral and, and go down the hill really quickly. Yep. And hopefully, this is a lesson for him and, I don't know, for everyone that yeah. there's, there's a fine line between being critical and being too hard on yourself. For sure. And it's, it's, it's a bit of a double whammy, unfortunate situation for him right now. He not only plays the most vulnerable position with respect to media scrutiny, like yeah. especially from my perspective as a player, you know, nobody likes to admit it, but when you have a bad game, it falls on the goalie's shoulders first and unjustifiably so, but that mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. And not only that, he plays in arguably the biggest market yeah. in the league with the worst media. So having mental strength is, is something critical for a hockey player in Toronto and also for a goalie. And I, I have no doubt that he's going to figure it out. But yeah. when we move forward, the, the question is like, what do the Leafs do? You know, when he was on this two, three week period of decline, Lee fans were saying, you know what? It's just a small blip. Things will get better. But like, at what point do we start saying this is like no longer temporary? I don't know. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I just think that with the minimal cap space that we have yep. and the other holes we have on our team, you got to bank on them figuring it out. Yeah. Because if just say you were to go over and go and get a goalie, you're gonna have you'll have close to depending on who you get close to ten million wrapped up in goalies. We're, we just can't afford that as a team. We're even or probably overpaying for Mrazek and Campbell combined right now based on their performance. So mm-hmm. if we trade for a goalie and one of them doesn't go the other way, we're preventing ourselves from making other trades. So I, I don't know. I, I think you have to wait and hope it figures itself out. But what do you think? Yeah, no. So um, I agree with you. I think there's two options that the Leafs can do. Um, one, like you said, is to go out and get a goalie, and the second one is to um, continue where what we're currently doing, but in a way that doesn't split starts. You, you said Jack Campbell was on the IR. I didn't know that, but thinking about when he comes back from the IR, if you're um, dead set on not getting another goalie, you know Peter Mrazek is not going to be the guy to do a deep playoff run. You need to let Jack Campbell get as many starts as he can to get his mojo back. Like, like that's just my opinion. This split starts is not going to work unless you have two great goalies. And, and if you're going to stick out, stick it out and not go get a goalie at the deadline, I, I just don't think splitting starts is going to work, especially when Campbell starts to play poorly. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I think the other side of that argument is the Leafs going into the playoffs the past few years have been riding one guy and the goaltending performance in the playoffs hasn't been great because of fatigue or whatever you want to call it. So I do un- I do get that you want to give him a run of games to sort of get him back in a groove. Mm-hmm. But you risk maybe tiring him out or something. I, I think that... I don't know. It's, it's a tough. It's a tough scenario. I don't think there's one perfect answer. Yeah, it's really tough because when I when I think about it, if I imagine myself as a goalie who um gets every non back to back start that Jack Campbell was getting at the beginning of the year, now yeah. that you start splitting starts in your mind, you start going, oh, you know, the organization yeah. doesn't have faith in me. And if he's already struggling from a mental standpoint, do you really want to instill more doubt into him? And I mean, if we are dead set on having these two goalies going into the playoffs. That's why I think you need to give him every start that you can because you're putting your trust in him. You need to like practice what you preach and show him that yeah. he's the guy that's going to be in the net. 
that's that's a good point from from a mental standpoint. Yeah, I just like when you think about who the Leafs could go get. I saw a great tweet on 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 Twitter that said like the goalies that are available, the differential for them um, compared to Jack Campbell is not very high. Even when Jack Campbell is bad, and when Jack Campbell is good, he beats all of these goalies that are in the open market. Yeah. Th- there's names like Mark Andre Fleury, but we know now that that's not happening. He said he doesn't want to uproot his family. Yeah. Like who, who else do we have? Ville Husso from St. Louis. He's a free agent next year. Right. Yeah, I don't think they're. I don't even know if St. Louis would be willing to trade him because he's he's been good for them. Yeah, a hundred percent. When I was looking for the um for Ville Husso, I know Edmonton inquired into him, and the the asking price was like a first round pick and like a high prospect, which would be like Nick Robertson. I think the Leafs could use that to go get like a top pairing defenseman. And like you said, yeah, the goalie is not the area that we need to fix most. No, it's def it's definitely not. Um, I think we'll just have to hope that it, it figures itself out. I, I have confidence that it will. I mean, like I've seen a few people say Jack Campbell didn't play in the like AHL and grind his way to get to the NHL just to let this one thing stop him. Mm-hmm. Like you just gotta have faith that the team will work it out. I've haven't had much faith in Leafs management and coaching staff in the past, but I, I do have confidence in this in this set of guys to to do that. So I, I think we have a large enough sample size on Jack Campbell being not only good but excellent yeah. that we can bank on the fact that he will come back where we currently stand yeah no i i agree with that we're just going to take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode manabo town located in north york ontario manabo town is ready to support you with all of your pre-game luxury wear ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties manabo town is here to elevate your game to the next level Visit Manabout Town today or find them on Instagram at manabouttown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. Talking about uncertainty on the part of the Leafs, mm-hmm. we have you know, the Eastern Conference as a whole, there's not a lot of uncertainty. We know who's making the playoffs, but the West is it's kind of shaping up to be a really interesting playoff race um, in our eyes. There, I think there are four or five teams in the hunt now for the last two wild card spots and overall playoff positioning what are your thoughts on the west yeah the wild west i have even more i counted today just before we started there's six teams within 10 points of the two wild card spots and like 11 if we um yeah sorry it gets to 11 if we add the teams that are currently holding a top three division ranking like those teams that are holding those top three spots are still within 10 points of a playoff spot like it is very 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 close legitimately every single team but colorado is uh at risk of not making the playoffs um when we think about the teams that are currently in the race names like um dallas nashville um calgary come to mind i know calgary currently holds a spot but them in vegas are flip-flopping every single day um when we ask the question who do you think the two teams that are going to make um the the wild card playoff spot i'm interested to to think who your who your two teams are Okay, well, I I tried to narrow it down to to four teams that I thought were really in in a race here. Okay, so I have Minnesota, who's on just a horrific run of form. They lost eight of their last ten in regulation, so you're not even getting loser points for that, which is in this league tough. Very tough. I had Nashville, Dallas, who's sort of opposite of Minnesota. They're on a bit of a run. Tear. And then I have Edmonton there. Those are sort of the four that I think are competing. Um, three of those teams for the last in the central and mm-hmm. then the rest of them for that wild card spot. Um, I think Anaheim is Anaheim's close, but they're back by four points and they have two to three more games played than everyone else. I think they might be selling at the deadline. So I, I have them out. I have Anaheim out as well. Yeah. With Edmonton, 
I don't know. Edmonton. This team confuses me because I'd love to give the I love to say that they're gonna make it, but I just don't think they will. Me neither. Because they got they they hired their new coach. They were like, oh yeah, we're gonna win a few in a row. Now we're gonna lose a few in a row. Yeah. We also have terrible goaltending and terrible defense, and I don't think you can win with with that zero um, consistency. So I I have them on the outside looking in, which will, it'll be so interesting on a side note to see what happens this off season. I wonder how many days we are away from, or years we are away from, McDavid and or Drysdale asking to get out of there because uh, that, that that's an argument for another day. But I think yeah. Drysdale leaves before McDavid does. Really? Yeah, for sure. For okay, sure. interesting. We'll we'll save that for the summer, one of those summer episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have I have Edmonton out. That leaves me with Minnesota, Nashville, and Dallas. Yep. I think Dallas because they're on this crazy run. I have them passing Minnesota to finish third in the Central. Mm-hmm. And then I have Nashville and Minnesota finishing in the wild card. Oh, you have Dallas not being a wild card team. I have them, yeah, because they're right now they're only two points back at Minnesota. One more game played, so let's call it four points. I I just think Minnesota's, and I love. If you've been listening to the show, you know I have a soft spot for Minnesota for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But I just they've been on they've been on a slide, and I think Dallas has been on a run. I think maybe they flip flop positions. Yeah, so I have a lot of the similar points as you. Um, I think Dallas takes the wild card spot, and the reason why I think that is because when I think of teams that are going to make the playoffs, I've not to beat a dead horse. We say this time and time again, but we're looking for teams with strong secondary scoring, great goaltending, and a mm-hmm. good defensive, um, a good defensive top six. And obviously, when you when you put those three together, you have a Stanley Cup contender. So we won't have all all of those yeah. on on these teams. But with Dallas, I mean, they are on an an absolute run. You got guys like Jamie Ben Pavelski who are reliving their glory days, playing exceptionally well. Sophomores like Jason Robertson is turning out to be He's a star a, in the making, a prolific scorer. And I mean, if it wasn't for Kirill Kaprizov last year, he would have had the, the Calder without yeah. a doubt. Great player. And then you have very underrated players like Ruby Hintz having a great year. Mm-hmm. A lot of strong secondary scoring there. When we look at the biggest issue for Dallas coming into the season, it was between the pipes. They had like three or four goalies that were, um, that, that could possibly play in net guys like Jake Ottinger, um, Braden Holpe and um, Anton Kudobin. Am I missing a goalie? I think they had Ben Bishop, but he retired early on. Yes, ben Bishop as well. So there were, there were potentially four guys, but so the reason why I take Dallas now is because there is one clear um, individual who is playing unbelievably over the last few weeks that is taking the net. And that's mm-hmm. Jake Ottinger. He has turned out to be honestly a top five goalie in the league since the new year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's fantastic. And when you look at a, a team that needs to make a playoff run, um, good goaltending can can take a team a long way. We saw that with Carey Price last year in Montreal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I have um, Dallas. And the last thing I'll talk about is the area that they are lacking is in is obviously their defensive depth. But there are mm-hmm. a lot of underrated defensemen on that team. Yeah, they're they're solid. Yeah, back Miro, there. Miro Hisakainen has done some pretty imagine unimaginable things this year. Um, notwithstanding the lack of points he's putting up, and I think that's why he's very underrated. But when you look from a de- defensive perspective he's in the 90th percentile of almost every defensive category stat with a projected war of 98 percent you know if he plays half of the minutes like 26 27 minutes like he's matching up against the best players for a very long time yeah right he's he's so good very good and so moving on there's one team that um i think you're you're overlooking and that's vancouver i have i have vancouver pushing in to the wild card spot. Uh, um, a lot of my buddies are Vancouver's fans, so I think I think they'll like hearing this one. Once again, going off of the the secondary scoring, um, defense and um, goalie um, categories that I have here, man, Vancouver's turned it around since Bruce Boudreau. They have, but who who are they bumping out? 
Um, Who do you have missing out between Minnesota and Nashville? Nashville. I, I have really? Nashville. Nashville looks like the opposite team of Vancouver where they started off incredibly strong riding a crazy hot UC Soros. I mean, he's cooled off a bit. He's still very he's still good. still really good. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. With Vancouver's tear lately, I I don't know. I just, I, I see them making a run. Like, Pedersen is looking like a different Elias yeah. Pedersen. The old Elias Pedersen. Like, guys like JT Miller having career years. Um, Brock Besser's playing well again. When you look at them defensively, like, their top four is kind of under the radar guys like um ekman larson myers shen hughes like do you not think that's a good top four it's it's decent yeah it, myers it's, is kind of overrated in yeah. my opinion it's I, overpaid i think most vancouver fans agree with that anyway mm-hmm. i think it's interesting that i i kind of overlooked them because when i look at the standings they're kind of low they're six points back i think of nashville nashville has a game in hand so they got a lot of ground to make up mm-hmm. but they have they had a really bad start so yeah. this this point total is a little bit skewed and they've probably been a lot better in the second half of the season. So if there was one team, it would be them. Yeah, I, I just think this team has hope now since the Bruce Brujo era has begun. They went on like, what, a seven-game winning streak? Like I think that they know they can win now. And if there is a team to get carried by their goalie, it is Vancouver. Thatcher Demko is having a year better than last year, which is pretty crazy to think about. Like a 2.64 goals against, 9.20 save percentage, and he plays every single game. He's really good. Right? They look, they just look rejuvenated. I really think that this yeah. team is going to is going to make it. And the last thing that I'll say is, you talked about Ed, Edmonton a little bit. That team is in shambles. Yeah. That team is in shambles. The locker room is a mess. I'm sorry, Connor McDavid, the way he presents himself in terms of the media does not look like a captain. I'll let you talk about this a little bit. You said you were talking to me the other day off the air that Leon Dreitseidel is kind of like the de facto guy there. That's we're not we're not in Edmonton. We don't pay too much attention to that market, but from what I've done like a little bit of reading Edmonton Twitter and sort of the media there, they they do believe that in the dressing room and at least on the ice it feels like Drysdale is the guy who leads that team. So, I mean, it's always good to have multiple leaders, but when your guy, the best player in the league, isn't looking like a captain, and that's a pretty hot take from you. I'll let you elaborate on that a little bit more if you want. That's a problem. Yeah, it, it is a problem. Like, there's something to be said about a locker room that has a clear leader. And I, I understand that many different players can be leaders at different times. I'm not saying that shouldn't happen. You know, like a healthy locker room has discourse. I, I completely agree with that. But at the end of the day, when the going gets rough, you need a guy like Jonathan Tavares or like prime Dustin Brown when like they, they, they were going mm-hmm. on those runs to step up and like make a big speech. And I'm sorry, Connor McDavid does not look like that guy to me. And I don't want to, I know this is purely on conjecture, but when you look at the way that he talks to the media, he is very... So what I'm looking for, he's very short and snappy, doesn't give reporters the time of day. And when you look at very seasoned captains, like you can tell when they get asked a stupid question, they answer it in a respectful way because they understand like they represent the organization. Mm-hmm. Just listening to the way that he talks to the media, it just makes me think that there's locker room problems there. And it, it, it kind of seems clear that a lot of players don't want to play in Edmonton. It's kind of funny that they reached out to New York to go get Simeon Varlamov and he straight up told the organization he's not waving his no move clause to go to that dumpster really? fire of a team. I just think the problems in Edmonton are deep rooted. Yeah, they they are. Ken Holland has a, a problem on his hand that he's been trying to solve for a few years. Like I said, we can go real deep on Edmonton mm-hmm. in the off season, especially if they flame out of this playoff race. Um, that's a conversation for later, but that's an interesting take you have on uh, Connor McDavid. Yeah, like just... Um, the last thing I'll say is, once again, no goaltending, zero defensive depth. Like Tyson Berry's had a terrible, terrible year. 
Who do they have there? They have Darnell Nurse, Evan Bouchard, Evan Bouchard, Ke- Cody CC, like Leafs legend Cody CC. Like, give me a break. They thought like, they thought having two of the Leafs top four from two years ago was a good idea. Like, like zero scoring depth. Like, I, I understand that McDavid and Dreisaitl are arguably the two most offensively gifted players in the league, but those guys can't score you every goal. What's weird though is that they they somewhat address that. They have Kane, Hyman, Nuge, Warren Fogle. Mm-hmm. There's still there's still problems there. Like I, I don't know how you solve this. Yeah, um, like we don't get paid two million dollars to do it, but yeah, maybe you solve it by going to get like a scorer that doesn't have locker room problems in Evander Kane. I mean, I I, I was the one who advocated for the move to go to Edmonton. And I I agree, but maybe we're seeing the consequence and the risk of that trade now. Yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about there. We'll save it for later. I want to go back to Vancouver. Okay. Because I had Vancouver as sort of not that team sneaking in. And so when I looked at them ahead of the deadline, I thought maybe you kind of sell a little bit. Really? And you sort of treat it as like a, as a retool of sorts cuz I, I think that their perf- their point total doesn't represent how good of a team they are on paper. Mm-hmm. So I sort of thought to, thought to myself before I considered how good they've been they've actually been seven three and all in their last 10 which is a lot better than i thought granted but maybe now maybe not right now maybe a little closer to the deadline if you find yourself straying away from this this race you maybe make a couple of trades i don't know if you go for a big trade like a jt miller or brock besser maybe you try and recoup a couple of assets and then make a run again next year because i think they'll be good next year they have they have those key pieces in place where do you see vancouver at the deadline I think Vancouver has to be buyers at the deadline. Like, in my mind, when you have a team that is selling, it's a team with no core, and therefore a team that is trying to create a core. Like that, that that's why you sell your key pieces. Like what Arizona is yeah. doing with Jacob Chikrin. You made a great point when I was talking to you before, and I said, why would Arizona trade a fantastic first line pairing defenseman? on term for a very long time? Like, why would you get rid of him? This is a guy you can build around. You made a great point that said. Maybe because you don't think you can build around him quickly enough, so you get assets for him, so you can like make a core in place for a sustainable yeah. amount of time. And when you look at Vancouver, that core is in place. Elias Patterson, Brock Besser, JT Miller, and Quinn Hughes, oh, and Thatcher Demko mm-hmm. is is a fantastic core. It is. Right? If if I'm the organization, I'm thinking of buying every single deadline because when you go when you go get side pieces, you can make a team here that can make a deep run. Yeah. Right? They're they're top six. I think is 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 Besser, Pedersen, Garland, Hoglander, um, Miller. JT Miller, and one more player that I can maybe Pod Colson. Maybe, maybe. I'm, right? I'm not too familiar. Um, so it seems like there's one or two spots on that top six that you can sure up and have some pretty high depth scoring. And Claude Giroux yeah. comes to mind, Oof. right? Their top four is is like I mentioned before. It's above average. The left side is loaded with Hughes and OEL. Just go get a right sided defenseman. We saw Jacob Chikorin taking taking um plays on the right side because Arizona wants to shop him as a right-handed defenseman. Yeah. Why not go get him on term and add to the core? That I don't know if they have the cap space for that. I think that they're in, speaking of cap troubles, they I thought that that trade to get rid of Roussel, Erickson, those deals to get OEL in was good at first glance, but OEL making I think there's some salary retention there, but he makes 7 at least 7 million for another more. like I think the original deal was 8.25, but mm-hmm. I think they retained on it a little bit. Okay. And if there is retention, it's still at least seven mm-hmm. for another five or six years at least. Mm-hmm. I think if they, it's it's a tough one because this wasn't even a, a trade that Jim Rutherford made. It was Jim Benning who mm-hmm. was still there. Um, 
So Jim Rutherford inherited this problem, but if you just would have waited that year for the Roussel, Ericsson, I think it was one more deal to expire, then you get sort of $8 million in cap space randomly to spend this summer with a smart GM like Jim Rutherford and the team he's assembled there. If they would have just been a little more patient, they could have done so much more. And I remember reading about Canucks fans' reactions. They were kind of upset that they didn't just be patient for one more year. Just one more year. And that might kind of come back to bite them in the butt. Um, but I think that you, you make a great point about their core is strong. It's young and they have a goalie. That's what I'm saying. Like their core is on term. I know Brock Besser comes up soon, but Brock Besser has not looked like the Brock Besser that signed that bridge deal. Like I think you would get him on a smaller AAV. And if you're right. able to do that on term, you have like a solid core in, in, in place that can go on multiple cup runs. Like these, this team is good in the right spots. Their goalie is unbelievable. That's why this JT Miller talk makes no sense to me. Like the whole point of selling a star player is that your team is not in a good yeah. enough position to like make best use of his talents. Well, I think I think the rationale behind that was they were really bad when those rumors started. Yes. So they were shopping him. I think the other thing is that if you don't think you're going to make the playoffs next year, maybe upstairs they're thinking this year wasn't great. Who knows what we're going to do next year? Trading him now might make sense because you might you might lose him for free next year if he walks as a free agent because they won't be able to afford him. True. So like maybe try to sign him now. Maybe they've tried that and it's not working. They or yeah. I mean, if if he was ever going to sign a deal, it would be after this season because he's going to be peak value and he's already thirty. Yeah. Um, if- if I'm not mistaken, Vancouver plays in in the Pacific, correct? Yeah. Right? Like, it's a terrible division. Like, it is. A, That's have, the thing. They have a chance to make a run here. I, I just don't understand why this team doesn't continue to go for it, especially yeah. with the momentum that this team is on now. But, um, well, let's continue on. I'd like to get your thoughts on Dallas. Similar to what you said about Vancouver, they, they got to buy here. Yeah, I agree. Talk about why you think that. Well, they have one of the, we're going to get to this later, but they have one of the best lines in hockey right now. You talked a little bit about their secondary scoring. I think they, there's room to improve their forward depth though, as there always is. Yep. And they're on a roll. Like I don't I don't think it's time to sell. Funnily enough, there's those trade talks about John Klingberg have quieted down. I think I think you keep him. You take the chance that he walks as a free agent. It is what it is. If you win a couple of rounds, it's probably worth it. I agree. I um, agree. But they got to buy. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think a little bit of a further incentive for them to buy is that their core is getting older. It's not like yeah, Vancouver true. where they're going to be around for a while. Tyler Sagan is 30s, 30-something? 30 late 20s, or if not 30. Yeah. Same same with Jamie Benn. Yeah. Joe Pavelski is getting older. Oh, he's getting better, but yeah. he's old. Yeah, true. I, I think the time is to buy now. Um, Let's move on to Winnipeg. What do you think about Winnipeg? Winnipeg is such a confusing team because they have such a good team on paper. Yep. And they just haven't really been able to figure it out since they went on that i think they went to the second round the year vegas made the cup final they, they lost to that to that vegas team mm-hmm. they haven't they haven't had that same sort of you know they, they looked really good they looked like a team who was going to challenge for a cup in a couple of years they haven't gone back to that level yet i think they need to upgrade on d because they there's their decor from that run is completely different Maybe they need a better coach too. I know they have an interim guy in place right now. I wonder who they hire. Maybe that makes a difference. Um, I think this year, though, maybe it's similar to what I suggested about Vancouver. You call it, you chalk it up to being a tough year, and you try maybe make a couple of trades, like a guy like Brandon Dillon, maybe, who um, is a big defenseman that teams will inevitably overpay for. Maybe you trade guys like him, try and get a couple of picks back, and you start again next year. 
What yeah, do you think? I, I agree. I think Winnipeg is neither a buyer nor a, a, a seller at the deadline. And um, I don't mean like a huge seller. I, I think that Brandon yeah, Dillon move is, is big for you. Uh, I thought too, when I was looking at this team's roster, I think in the offseason, they go out and get a big defenseman. I don't know if there's any defensemen that are free agents sure. this year. But yeah, like this team on paper is fantastic. Like you said, they just seem to stagnate. Like they, yeah. they're just underperforming. And when you look at it, like Blake Wheeler, um, Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, yeah. Andrew Kopp. Like this team is deep. And defensively, Neil Pionk, who else plays defense there? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Right? They have a Vesna caliber goalie in net. Yeah. I think this team doesn't sell because for the same argument I made with Vancouver, you don't sell when you have a core in place. You add. But maybe you chalk this year up to just unlucky. Well, speaking of that core, there's been a lot of, and these are rumors, so it's important to preface that. But sometimes where there's smoke, there's usually some fire. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of rumors about this core being a little bit toxic. Like in the room, maybe Blake Wheeler and Mark Scheifele aren't the best leaders. I think on a side note, I think Mark Scheifele is kind of a prick, to be honest. <laughs> like, I just don't like the guy, but maybe there's an issue with that core. And they might be another year or two underperforming away from just blowing it up. Yeah, no, I agree. Everyone said when Patrick Laine was getting traded that Patrick Laine was the problem. I mean, we see yeah. him in Columbus. I mean, he's he's thriving. I think he said that he wanted to re-sign there. That team is he liked it there. doing well. He's playing really well there. The coach likes him. There's there's no longer any problems about him and the coach getting into arguments. I mean, maybe the problem was in Patrick Laine. Yeah, and when you have a guy like Patrick Laine, you're not... I don't think the move with a guy like him is to force him to play defense. I think you just have to accept that, that he's flawed at that, but yeah. he also has one of the best shots in the game, so you figure it out. Didn't work. Um, I mean, you talked about getting a big defense at free agent, the big defenseman at free agency. The problem is it's it's Winnipeg. Like no disrespect to Winnipeg, they have great fans and a great organization, but it's Winnipeg. Yeah, Tim Hortons Wi-Fi is. Yeah, they don't have an airport. Yeah. <laughs> it's i think it was voted um just objectively it was voted as one of the worst places to play in the league and that's tough you wouldn't talk about like general managers it's you really are helped or knocked down by this the city you're in and that's out of your control like when when, um what's his name jeff gordon he did an objectively really good job of rebuilding new york the rangers Mm -hmm. but adam fox was only going to the rangers jacob truba was only going to the rangers artemi panarin was only going to the Rangers. That's three big pieces of that core. And again, I'm not trying to downplay the role. I'm just trying to emphasize that when you're you only so much you have to work with when you're in a city that players don't want to go to. Very so true. they got to take advantage of this core when they can. I agree. I agree. And so if we're going to move on from Winnipeg, I think the last team that we wanted to talk about um, ahead of the deadline is Anaheim. You alluded to it at the beginning. You said that you thought they would be sellers. Maybe expand on that a bit. I I think they're in they're in a really tough position because they are. On the outside looking in, they have a shot if they go on a run. But they, it, it, they're in such a unique spot because they have three pretty important players on expiring deals. And Ricard Raquel, Hampus Lindholm, and Getzlaff, who is a little bit older, but still. Um, Pav Verbeek, their new GM, already said if he doesn't have them signed by the deadline, he's going to shop them yep. and potentially trade them. I and mean, Getzlaff's different. He'll only go if he wants to go. But those other two, you can get a King's Ransom for those for those two guys. And then... You already have a really good young core. Yeah, I think that you don't buy and mortgage the future. I think you lean into your future with Sam Steele, Max Comtois, Troy Terry, Jamie Drysdale, Zegris, John Gibson. You're still going to be good for a few years. You mm-hmm. try and get some picks. You just accept the fact that you're not going to be able to do it this year. And then in three, four years, hopefully you're a killer team. I, I completely agree. This team looks like a young 
Vancouver in the sense that they're maybe yeah. three or four years from being in a position where they need to start buying. They have a good young core, but not a good young core that can win. So yeah. as, as we mentioned, trade the players that you cannot get value for on your team because this team is not making a push. Go out and get some draft picks. Hopefully you you score big on them and then you have a young core in place where you can start shopping draft picks in the future, right? Like there's a very, very predictable cyclical pattern in the NHL with respect to any given organization. You have a good young core for a very long time that you sell the farm on to try to keep going and make the playoffs every single year because you know one day these guys are going to get old and the team's going to be bad for a while. Yeah. That's why I'm thinking with Vancouver, like since that cup run in, was it 2011? 2011, right? They had been bad for so long and they had wanted to get a core for so long. Like you finally have two fantastic scorers in Pedersen and in JT Miller. It just doesn't make sense to sell, but Anaheim, sell, 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 please sell. Yeah, I agree. Just before we wrap up this sort of ahead of the deadline section, I want to talk about the Islanders who are in kind of a similar situation. They went from being the team to push the Tampa Bay Lightning to seven. Like They were the toughest match for them last year to being really bad this year. And that's that's tough because they had almost their first 20 games all on the road and Matt Barzal, Anders Lee got hurt. They lost Eberle to Seattle. Like they, It was a transition year from on and off the ice. Um, I just don't know. This, this team kind of confuses me too because they have no scoring. They None. didn't have scoring last year. No. And they were still really good. But this year they really didn't have it because their guys got hurt and, and it's magnified that hole that they've been that they've had like tenfold. So I don't know. What do you think they do at the deadline here? I think they have to sell. I think anybody except for um, Anders Lee, Matt Barzell, um, is there Noah Dobson are probably yeah. up for, for sale. Um, the problem is they just don't have that many assets to sell. Like who yeah. do you think from the New York Islanders could be a guy that a team could take to make a cup run? Like like Jean-Gabriel Pajot, incredibly they just, overpaid. They just yeah, they just signed him and Palmieri to big deals and no one's trading for big deals right now. They when they made that trade for Kyle Palmieri, I said like why? Like there are so many other better left wingers that you could get to make a playoff run. It just doesn't make sense. This team is in a is in a lot of trouble, like you said. Um this this year seemed like a wash from the beginning without a home arena. Yeah. Playing so many games on the road like that does a lot for, for players, sure. right? Especially now, like when you come back home, they thought there was going to be a bit of a rebirth. But I'm sorry, when you're down like 20 games, like there's just there's no hope. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough on the players too. I think the only guy you alluded to him earlier when talking about Edmonton, like Varlamov is maybe the only guy you trade you trade. Yep. Um, but he has he has some say over that. I think he has he has a, some sort of a no movement clause. So it's tough if he puts all the teams that need goalies on his no movement clause then okay like you're not trading them like but. what other team is there other than Edmonton that desperately needs a goalie yeah, I like, don't know right like to the point where trading a goalie is a high enough differential that you choose to go for a goalie over like a top six forward the only one is Edmonton yeah right I don't mm -hmm. know I think you know let's move into talking about this on a bit of a tangent now a lot of speculation and scrutiny in the media talks about this mess that New York is in um, they, they kind of seem to attribute it to legendary Lula Morello mm -hmm. um, I don't know I'd like to get your thoughts on it I have a lot of good and some bad to say about yeah. Lula Morello um, what do you what do you think about his abilities as a general manager and then more specifically how he's done in New York I think his, his track record speaks for itself he's been around the game for like over 30 40 years and he's won cups and he's did a great job in Toronto at least for the most part yep. as any general manager do does they're going to make some 
some bad moves like the Zaitsev contract. Um, I think for the most part, he's done a good job. I think like in his career, I mean, he's done a great job, not just a good job. But in New York, I they they clearly have an identity. But now that identity has been exposed with one injury, mm-hmm. it's a big problem. I just think some of the work he's done around the edges. I mean, he signed Leo Komarov to a, I think it was a three or four year deal for three or four million after he was with the Leafs. He was already on the decline towards end with the Leafs. So that strapped them up. Now he has eight and a half million in Clutterbuck, Ross Johnston, Matt Martin, and Casey Sezikis. Oh. Those are four, let's just call it what call them what they are, fringe NHLers yeah. taking up what you could give to a legitimate superstar up front. And that's that's what they need. I know that Lula Morello, Barry Trotz, and that franchise and the way they think about hockey, they love to have those those gritty, power powerful fourth lines. But if you overpay them, and you have holes higher up in your lineup. I'm sorry, the guys who play less than 10 minutes, they don't win you hockey games. Yeah, it's right. the guys who are going to play 19, 20 minutes who can put up 35 goals that win you hockey games. I know playoffs is a different story, all of that, but you got to get there. No, I, I agree. And, and also, been, when 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 you get there, like I'm sorry, Matt Martin, Leo Komarov, Casey Zizekas are not playing more than eight minutes in a in no. a conference final game. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I I have a lot to echo with what you said so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna continue on and just re-say what you said lula morello has done a great job he's been in his career he's known to find value like mm-hmm. picking up martin broder and like the 20th overall pick i mean that guy's been one of the best goalies of all time um i know he's not your best goalie of all time <laughs> but uh, watch the last episode everybody um drafting patrick Eliash in like the third round i mean yeah holy right speaks for himself but in new york it, it's been a bit a bit of a different story i, I agree and i think the move that really stands out is the Devon Taves trade um, oh my gosh yeah right? what did they get two second two rounders for Devon Taves and I mean at first the rationale had some logic to it the thought was you needed to re-sign Matt Barzell and Anders Lee so move a defenseman that had some value um, that you know you couldn't re-sign because yeah. he was probably going to want six million but man is that deal looking bad now yeah Devon Taves is He's unbelievable. He's also playing with Kale McCarr, but he still would. I think he would have made Team Canada if there was a Team Canada. It would have been close. He's so good. He's yeah. so good. I think he's on pace for like something stupid, like 70 points this year or something dumb. Yeah, I mean, he missed a bunch of time, but if he would have played, he would have been in there. Like, that's that's for a defenseman. 100%. And you can't even attribute that to um, a Colorado's unbelievable um, first-line power play because he doesn't play it. Yeah. He plays their second-line power play, and he didn't play with Kale McCarr for a lot of the year. They only started putting them oh, together really? right? because they've been so good. Devon, Devon Taves is simultaneously one of the best defensemen in the NHL and one of the most underrated defensemen in the it's NHL. True. And that move that they made for him, I mean, with how he's playing now, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but you could have got sure. a couple first for that guy. Well, for sure. And, and those contracts we talked about, Komarov, Clutterbuck, Matt Martin— don't sign those guys you have eight million to sign Devon Taves you, you you can keep them yeah or at the very least if you see the writing on the wall and you know that those contracts are going to be bad maybe you trade two seconds and one of those terrible contracts to free up some space yeah yeah true. it's just some of the things that he did at the end were a little bit confusing but I mean I have the utmost respect for Lou I, I, I believe in his abilities I mean he has to know what he's doing back-to-back conference finals with a team I'm sorry that looked terrible yeah I don't know how they did it but a lot of respect to them yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they find their way back um, because Lou always works things out. But it is important to at least touch on some of the maybe the mistakes that he's made, but I think he'll figure it out. Um, moving on now, 
I alluded to when I was talking to some of these teams, I was talking about some of these teams ahead of the deadline that if they have big defense when they can trade and get some value for it, that's what they should do. Mm-hmm. And that made me think a lot about Seattle, funnily enough, because when they did their expansion draft, a lot of people were confused because they said you could have picked up guys like Tarasenko, Carey Price, and it looked like they became intentionally bad. I mean, yep. there were a couple of, quite frankly, confusing free agent signings like Grubauer and Adam Larson. But other than that, it, it really seemed like they were leaning into being not a good team to start. And as soon as I saw them pick up all these guys, like they picked up, I think every defenseman they picked was like was over 6-2. Okay. They just picked a huge team. And immediately what I thought was they're going to suck for two years, get a whole bunch of picks at the deadline, mm-hmm. see Connor Bedard coming in two years, mm. bank on getting him, and then be incredible for like 10 years after that because they already have Matty Beneers, who's unbelievable for Michigan. And in a worst case scenario where you don't get Connor Bedard, you'll have all those other picks and you'll still pick really high next year to have a, t- to have a really good prospect to go alongside him where then you're hoping that for the next five to 10 years, you're building a real strong team. And I think that's what their um, approach was because nobody can pull a Vegas 2.0. Even no. if you pick Tarasenko and Carey Price, they would not have been that good. So I think you lean into sucking. I think that was the rationale. You hope to God you get um, a Connor Bedard, and then you're going to be the one of the best teams in the league for 15 years because you have a generational player on your hands. Yeah, that's a very good point. Maybe that's why they signed... Um Grubauer for to long term they thought they'd take the hit on the first half of the deal and then if they create a, a good core they have a good goaltender yeah, again exactly I mean Grubauer I'm assuming he's gonna bounce back next year because he's been historically bad <laughs> but if they were I just found it troubling at the time because they signed what a Vesna candidate goalie when they were going to be objectively a bad team so it, it kind of confused me but all that aside I think they did have a good strategy in place of picking up these huge defensemen that always sell for a lot you can, you can, who knows, you can recoup like a few second, third round picks. Those are valuable. There has to be some team stupid enough to give up like a second for Adam Larson. Well, we're talking about Mark Giordano. He's an objectively good player who might give them a first. Yeah. And they got him for free. I think right? a first would be stupid, but I think a second is very fair. Yeah. So they're going to get value on these guys and hopefully it works out because Ron Francis isn't looking too brilliant at the moment. But if he had this plan up his sleeve the whole time, give him five years, maybe it'll work out for them. Yeah. Very, very true. Um, if that's all we have to say about Seattle, you brought up a very good point about about Vegas, meaning that like nobody can create a Vegas 2.0. Mm-hmm. And that just um, grinds my gears a little bit because when I start thinking about Vegas and this expansion draft, oh man, like I know Vegas is a fantastic team and a lot of respect to the abilities of that organization in drafting a team that was fantastic and good so early on. But when I look at it, I think Vegas has been very good very quickly for three reasons. Um, And a lot of them are, I'm sorry, out of their control. The Mm -hmm. first one is very in their control. They drafted players from the expansion draft who magically turned out to be phenomenal. I don't know if they got lucky, but when when that happens with so many guys, you have to start thinking their scouting is good. Guys like Marcheseau and Carlson. I I remember Marcheseau played on Florida before Vegas. I mean, he was good, but he was not this good. Yeah. Right? Carlson was a no-name, and he came in and scored 40. Yeah. Like, come on. Did they draft Tuck too? Or did they like they, legitimately? They got him from Minnesota. They got him from Minnesota, and now like Tuck was good on that team, yeah. and he, he's proving himself in Buffalo again and again. That is what's in their control. I have a lot of respect for that organization. Number two, um, the market in Vegas is like 
maybe the best market in the league. Yeah. And not only with respect to revenue generation, but with respect to where players want to play, right? Like, first of all, you play in Las Vegas. It's hot. It's dry. The climate's fantastic. It's in a very fun city. Yeah. I mean, like, why wouldn't free agents want to sign here? And you can see that now. Like, I know Stone and, and Eichel didn't come on free agency but you would have to think they had a say in where they wanted to go if there were like no move clauses and things like that yeah for sure stone signed it eight-year deal the second he got traded there right <laughs> it seems like you hit the jackpot when you go to play vegas like players want to play here they got petrangelo too yeah right like they, they the market is very conducive to signing free agents so when you when you mix it with the fact that these players turned out to be magically fantastic and now they have this unbelievable opportunity to sign free agents like no wonder this team's going to be good for so yeah. long right and the third place that i have um that i want to talk to you a little bit about is the cap the cap is very very conducive to good teams in low tax environments right like when you think about it like I, like i just want you to tell me how in the world is this cap not on after-tax dollars yeah i the range of state and province and federal taxes makes it like it, it skews the landscape. I think the only reason that I first maybe explain what you mean by after tax dollars to start there. Okay, maybe that's a good idea. So for, for anybody who doesn't know, Vegas has zero state tax, which means that when you make $5 million as an NHL player, this is all, all obviously a very oversimplification. But to keep it very simple, if you make $5 million as a player, you take home $5 million. When we talk about a team like Toronto, they have a marginal tax rate of about 50, I think 52 or 53%. And I mean, I know there's like progressive tax systems. We'll just keep this simple. If you make an $8 million contract, you're probably taking home a little bit over five. So when you think about a team like Toronto versus Las Vegas, you can, as a player, go make $5 million in Las Vegas or $8 million in Toronto, and you will make more money in Las Vegas, yeah. right? When you mix that with the fact that Las Vegas is in the United States, which for some reason is great for players, um, and they also have a fantastic climate, like no wonder this team is yeah. going to attract free agents, right? Sure. And it just blows my mind that there are so many zero tax environments in the NHL that get all this like fantastic rap, like, oh, look at our ability to take teams on discounts. Like bull crap. Don't tell me that um don't tell me that Braden Point took a discount playing for Tampa when he makes what, like seven million? Seven. Right? If he makes Mitch Marner's ten million dollars, like the after tax dollars on that are almost identical. Like yeah. I, I would like to do the math on it, but I wonder if Braden Point makes more than Mitch Marner in after tax dollars. Might, might. Right. So don't tell me that, oh, Mitch Marner is a bad guy because he doesn't take he doesn't take concessions for his team where like Braden Point is like taking less money to help player to help his team out. Like, no, he's not. Yeah, that is, that is such a trash argument. Yeah. Because when you look you're right, when you look at all the places guys have taken discounts, people people David Poyle is a great general manager. But he, he gets a lot of praise for getting guys to stay at Nashville for cheaper for cheaper deals. Nashville's one of those zero percent zero tax uh like no state tax markets. Yeah. So of course they're gonna stay. And I think that it makes so much sense. I had this conversation with people before. I think in theory it makes a lot of sense to have not your gross income count towards the cap, but what you make after. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's what you're saying. I think the only reason the owners would hate that is because a guy who gets traded from Vegas to Toronto, the owner now has to basically pay double 
what the owner in Vegas was paying them so that their tax evens out. Yeah, right? so so the owners wouldn't like that and they have all the power over this kind of stuff. Very true. So maybe implement a rule that like when you trade for a player, like you you, you take on the the cap hit that that team did when they signed him, right? Yeah, there's definitely ways to work around it to make the and then, funnily enough, Gary Bedman loves this cap because it produces parity. Well, we've had maybe five, four of our six episodes so far talking about how that's just a fallacy. Yeah. This is a this is a new point that we haven't brought into it, which is a great one. It it it's just not. It's it's an objectively equal playing field, but it's just not at all. Once you actually like just take a little take a second to think about it. Yeah, like it, like does it surprise you that teams like Tampa Bay and teams like Vegas are perennial cup favorites? Like no, it doesn't because they effectively have like double the cap space to implement. Yeah. Like you can go out and sign a guy like Steven Stamkos for 7 million and Braden Point for 7 million. I don't know if that's what they make. I'm just going to use the numbers for the sake of the argument. And look at how much more cap space you have in order for Toronto to provide them with an equivalent um take home and after tax dollars they would need to give both of them 12 at right? least 12 yeah. and then you might need to give them more money because they're playing in an environment like that isn't as good as vegas i know toronto is a great market but it's cold and players don't like yeah. playing in cold environments so you might have to overpay for that so when you look at a team like tampa there's already so much of an incentive to go and you can like you can sign players for cheaper with respect to the cap but give them more money overall for sure right like no wonder tampa has crazy amounts of depth and if you make this cap in after-tax dollars all of that goes away yeah that's that's a good point you talked about Stamkos. i remember when the leafs wanted to sign him and when he was a free agent they would have 100 percent had to pay more than he's making in, in in tampa right now and people were saying oh he's staying for less because he wants to win with tampa it's like that's maybe true but it's also very convenient that he's going to just take home more money it's playing very, for Tampa. It's very baloney. I want you yeah. to tell me a single player that takes less money to help their team win in a non-zero state tax environment. Yeah, it's few and far between. Does Colorado have any state tax? They they might. I'm not sure. Yeah, if they but do, still. and McCain's the first one, well, then you know what? I, my my argument's vindicated. Like, well, I, he he got this current contract. It's not a, it's not a pay cut. No, his next one, if he does take less, will. But he's gonna make double digits, and mm-hmm. I I think he would only it would only be him taking less than like maybe Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews for it to be like a pay cut, quote unquote. I agree. Okay. I, I yeah, you're right. You have to make a great point there. I, I just want I just want people to stop making the argument that Braden Point takes pay cuts like he doesn't. He's making more money than Mitch Marner, and I'm sorry if he's not. I don't have the I don't have the math on it, but it's close. It is yeah. it is very close. And the last thing that I will say is that. Like when you look at like the 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 Los Angeles team, excuse my stutter, the Los Angeles team in twenty in, in the twenty tens, yeah. like that state tax is very high in California. Mm-hmm. That just speaks to how fantastic that organization was with respect to like keeping players. Mm-hmm. Those players took pay cuts because they have an, a marginal tax rate close to what Toronto is, yeah. right? So for that team to keep the core that they had for such a long time, I mean, good good on them, mm-hmm. good on them. Yeah. Hey, talking about, we mentioned a few teams. We talked about Colorado, talked about Tampa, talked about Nashville, about some of these low state tax cities. And it's kind of funny how some of the best lines in hockey, best teams, of course, play for the play in these markets because they have that ability to sign players for cheaper and build stronger teams. No, man, it's it's because they're taking pay cuts because oh, they, they, they like their team. So let's talk about the most selfless players in the league <laughs> and why they all happen to play on the same lines. Yep. Let's talk about some of the best lines in hockey. 
one. Are we going to go top three here? Yeah, let's go top three. Maybe we'll go three to one. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Okay, let, let me hear your top three. Let me hear your third first. Okay. my th- I This is a tough one, like, quite frankly. I think the third best line in the league currently, I have the first line in Calgary with Kachuk, Lindholm, and Goudreau. Okay. Why? I think that line, they have... They kind of have a bit of everything. Kachuk is highly skilled, but he's also a little bit greasy. He'll get in the corners. He'll be chippy, which helps. Lindholm's a great two-way center as well. He's, um, I think when he came over from Cal- from Carolina, rather, I didn't expect him to really develop into a first-line center because I knew he was good. I think he started out on the wing, actually, mm-hmm. and then transitioned to center and is now really good. Fantastic. Johnny Goudreau speaks for himself. He's yep. I talked to him as like a, as a low-key guy who could be in the running for the heart. He's having a great contract year. Um, might be the last year this team plays together if they're not able to keep everybody, but I think they're just a real solid line, and they're also a really well-coached team, so that helps on the stat sheet in terms of how they come across analytically. I, I agree. On a side note, that Lindholm deal might have been the most star-studded trade I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it Guys, was. like Lindholm, um, you told me Adam Fox was in that deal. Adam Fox, um, Hannafin was. Hannafin, like a lot of a lot of crazy. Dougie Hamilton. Dougie Hamilton, right? too. A lot, smokes, yeah. a lot of big names. So my top three, uh, who I have in third, and let me just be clear, this is like right now. This isn't like over the last three years because if it was, this line would be number one. I have Ranton and McKinnon Landeskog. Mm-hmm. Um, reasons they're not number one. Like they don't play together as much anymore. And um, intangibly, when I watch them play, like Rantanen and Landeskog are better when they don't play with Nathan McKinnon. And I know that's a hot take. That's hot. But, but Jared Bednar must agree with me because Landeskog doesn't play on that line anymore and they're starting to move Rantanen off. And the reason is because Nathan McKinnon, irrespective of how fantastic he is, he's a hog. Like he is a hog. He takes twenty five shots a game, and like I understand, like let let your best player take the take the best opportunities. But the problem is, is Miko Rantanen's like one of the best wingers in the league, and he just doesn't get the puck enough. Yeah. Right. So this line seems has seemed a little dysfunctional lately, um, which is why they're no longer playing together. But in terms of raw skill, like yeah, maybe you would put them number one over the last three years. Yeah, right. That's fair. Maybe I'll go to my number two, and then you can go to your number two. Yeah. Number two, I have um the homeboys Matthews, Marner, Me and too. Michael Bunting. Um, so of the all line, all the lines I'm talking about, they have the highest expected goals for percentage at 65. percent Their expected goals per 60 minutes is like 3.82, which is crazy. Jeez. Like they'll almost score four goals if they played every single minute of the game. Yeah. Um, their expected goals against is second at 2.11. So this team can, th- sorry, this line can play two way. Right. Yeah. Um. A little bit of a side note. I want to ask you about this. There was an anonymous scout that said, um, talked about the the Michael Bunting um contract, and not only that, as to who he is as a player, and said that if Michael Bunting didn't have Austin Matthews, he'd be in the minors. What do you think about that? That's just a jealous scout who <laughs> who is who is upset that Bunting only wanted to sign here. Because don't forget, in 23 games, he had like 10 goals with Arizona. It was good. And who was he playing with in Arizona? Like Nobody. A cactus? Like, they're <laughs> trash. And he's just, yeah, does he does he benefit from playing with arguably the best player in the world right now? Yeah, of course he does, but who wouldn't? Yes. Um, I think that's kind of a load of bull, but what do you think? I think if Michael Bunting didn't play with Austin Matthews, he'd probably be a top 6 forward. He'd probably, probably fill up this fifth or sixth spot on the second line. Yeah. But like that's a far cry away from being an AHL player. Exactly. I mean, would he have 57 points in 46 games? Like, no. He's also playing with like a top 5 playmaker in the league in Mitch exactly. Warner. Like, you know what? I actually think that without Bunting, Austin Matthews would be playing in the AHL. <laughs> well, I was talking about the. I think it was maybe talking with my dad. I said... 
they they paid Hyman how much? Over five million in Edmonton. I loved Zach Hyman when he was here. Yep. But you're getting bunting for under a million, and this line is better, if anything. Better. So he's been a great replacement. People were talking about Zach Hyman, rightfully so, as being one of these great wingers to complement these players. I think Bunting deserves the same treatment, not this treatment where people are talking about him being out of the league. I think that's kind of a yeah. a load of crap. Yeah, much agreed. Like, I'm sorry, um, Michael Bunting is not Patrick Maroon scoring 25 goals with Connor McDavid yeah. and would be an AHL player without him. Like, Michael Bunting's a good player. Yeah, and on another side note, when I when I when we watch them play, he's sort of he, he's smart. He makes all these little plays. Yeah. He's just he's just a great guy to have on, on the team. The guys seem to like him too. Yeah, he also creates his own chances, which uh, which is yeah. why I think this argument is not true. Like a great um specific argument is remember that game where he played um where he went on that breakaway and made that beautiful draw pass yeah. to Mitch Marner, right? It's like plays like that. I even at the Seattle game um a couple nights ago and he made this beautiful pass to Austin Matthews that led to a goal. Like the guy is not a bump on a log benefiting off Austin Matthews purely. Yeah, yeah exactly. For yeah. sure. Okay. Let's hear your number two. Yeah, so I, I had these guys as my number two as well. Okay. And then funnily enough, I had Landis Cog McKinnon and Rantanen as my number one, just because in terms of raw skill, I just can't look past them. I agree. And I've, I have a feeling that when push comes to shove in playoff time, they're going to be back together. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a team's worst nightmare. And they're they're just you you spoke about how good they are they're unbelievable probably like it, it might be the the highest skilled line like you said just raw skill they're probably the best in the league oh it is for yeah. sure so that that's why I have them at one but I'm curious now because we already talked about that line who do you have at number one yeah it looks like like we're we're a, a, a direct symmetry of each other I got Gaudreau Lindholm oh did in you really one. yeah okay so like the reasons why like they have the second highest expected goals for like all of them are having career years Gaudreau has 74 points 56 games Lindholm 60 points with 29 goals like I described in the last episode Calgary has that offensive what was it offensive five on five expected goals percentage a first in the league or something like that mm-hmm. with with not requiring special teams what does that tell me it's like they're even strength lines doing it and it's the first line that is taking the brunt of the load yeah um what really is impressive is that out of all these lines their expected goals against is the smallest at two which means this line is great two-way like you yeah. mentioned it elias lindholm is one of the best two-way centers in the league and i at first thought Gaudreau was not a very good two-way player but these stats tell me otherwise and i mean i'm gonna believe the objective stats i think yeah. i i think they're i think they're the best line and let me just give an honorable mention before we move on i was really close to putting the pittsburgh line in here oh yeah that's a great one i love russ russ crosby Gensel. they just don't get enough love um the boston line they don't play together much anymore with yeah. with the brusque and then um the last one that was close was that um Teravainen, Shvechnikov, Aho. That line's great, too. There's a lot of great lines in this league, actually, funnily enough. Yeah. Robertson, Hintz, Pavelski. We touched on them earlier. True. That's another one. There's three underrated players in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I used Dom Lecision's model um, to like pick pick from these guys. He had them ranked third in the league right wow. now, wow. just based off of war and all the value they provide. So I think that that's that's a good show, too. Do you... Um, um, in keeping with the objective stats and the mm-hmm. models, why don't we um, go on a little bit of a tangent here and talk about yeah. um, the recent fire that Dom Lashisnan has been <laughs> receiving on yeah, Twitter. That was um, so funny. You want to explain that a little bit? Sure. So Dom has a war model mm-hmm. that, as it should, takes into account offense and defense, and that determines the effect you have on the team and how many wins you provide. And so he released his, based on his model, the top 10 most valuable players in the league right now. And notably, Jonathan Huberto was left off mm-hmm. that list. 
And that led to a, uh, a little bit of a beef on Twitter between Huberto's agent, Alan Walsh, and, and Dom. They were going back and forth. Alan Walsh said some questionable things. Yep. called said that Dom was a homer and that he was kind of didn't know what he was talking about. It was kind of, it was funny from the outside looking in, but let's just, let's actually lean into this conversation. Well, where do you stand on Jonathan Huberto and his claim to be a heart favorite? Yeah. Like it, it wasn't just a little beef. It was the whole cow. He called yeah. him an embarrassment or something yeah, like that. It did. was, it was kind of savage. I mean, I don't know. Like before I get into this to you, what does the heart supposed to like, what is the heart supposed to represent? It's the most valuable player to their team. To their team, right? And let me be clear. Right now, there are two nominees that are most valuable to their team. Do you want to guess who they are in my head that I think? Matthews yeah. and Shesterkin. Shesterkin, for sure. Like, for 100% Shesterkin, if the, if the league ended right now, um, I agree I, with what you said before. He's going to win the heart. Matthews is very close. And let me just be clear. This year, no one come at me and say, this is my top five. This year, there is a pile of garbage between Matthews and Connor McDavid. Yeah. And then you go into other names. But when we talk about um, Jonathan Huberto not being in the top 10, I just thought it was so funny to see a GM argue about a purely objective model, right? Yeah. Like if Dom Lachisnan came out and said, I don't think Jonathan Huberto is in the top 10 of heart because I just don't think he's good defensively, then then... Walsh has a leg to stand on. But Lashisnin's reply was like so fitting. He said, if Austin played in Florida and Huberto played in Toronto, nothing would change in this model because yeah. it's purely objective. It's numbers. Right? Like how do you how do you go on Twitter and argue about an objective model? I, th I think that's just a, an emotional agent wanting to back his guy who is having a career year. Understandably so, but he took it to a place you didn't have to take it. For sure. So when we talk about the most valuable player to their team, you know, this is a lot different for anyone listening about who I think will win the heart because oftentimes who does win the heart is the guy with the most points. Yeah. Who I think should win the heart, which is what this model seeks to represent. Um, Huberto is without a doubt one of the best offensive players in the league this year. Yeah. 78 points. Um, the league lead is at 81. Like he's right there. Yeah. Um, often the heart goes to the most points, like I said. So I understand why um, Walsh was a little bit speculative of this because he has a very one-sided model about what he thinks the heart trophy measures. But... A very big component to a um, a player's abilities are their defense, right? Mm -hmm. um, something that is so fitting for Jonathan Huberto, which um, corroborates this argument that he is not in the top 10, is his defense. Um, there are only two heart candidates in history, in history, that have had a negative 5-on-5 expected goals differential <laughs> when you're on the ice. And for anyone that doesn't know what that means, that means that this, this stat projects when player A is on the ice, um, we think there will be more goals, more points when they are on the ice for their team or less points on the ice. So if it's if it's negative, that means if Jonathan Huberto is on the ice, the model expects him to allow more goals than his line puts up. Like, think about how crazy that is. That's that that's bad for any player, but he's leading the league in points. Yeah. So I mean, it just makes it sound like even all those points he puts off that can't cover for how bad he is defensively like, like to go negative is already bad enough but when you put up 100 points to have a negative 5 on 5 expected goals percentage means like you don't skate back like you take your skates off when the puck yeah. goes the other way like how do you give a guy a heart trophy when he's that bad defensively history suggests you can no you can't and so the only argument i see against it is that oh Last year, when Connor McDavid won the um won, won the Hart Trophy, or two years ago, 
he was bad defensively and he still won it. You know, there's two things I have against that. Number one, according to advanced stats, when he won the Hart Trophy, he was average defensively. Which was more than good enough considering what the damage he does going forward. Exactly. Like this year, he's terrible defensively. You yeah. mentioned, like we had a little bit of a um, a constructive argument about Matthews versus Austin off the air. And you, you, you told me about Connor McDavid's poor defensive play. And like, you're completely correct this year. He's terrible yeah, defensively. He's right. But that year that he won it, he was average. And secondly the year that he won it last year the offensive gap was so astronomical yeah. i don't care if he puts the puck in his own net twice you got to give the guy the heart yeah. he he had 105 points in five games and he, the next best was 84 that's a 21 point difference in 55 games because of covid and i think the guy second place was was dry side it was, was it not it was dry side so that just emphasizes that argument like yeah. he's p- clearly the most important to his to his team when you have the arguably the second best player in the world on the same team. Yeah, like when you projected out to a full 82-game 80 se- game season, he was projected to lead the league in scoring by 40 freaking points. That's insane. Like, I don't... Like, fine, if Jonathan Huberto leads the league this year in points by 40, give him the heart. Sure. Right? But when he leads the league at most in two points... The fact that he has a negative five on five goal expected differential means that this guy is not even in the top 10. Like, I'm sorry, he's not. Yeah. He's not. You talked about this a little bit um, earlier on in our episodes, and I completely agree where you said that oftentimes when you have offensively prolific players, they kind of start to think that they don't need to play defense. Sometimes, unfortunately. Right. And maybe that's why Huberto like, isn't playing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, admittedly, I haven't watched the Florida games very often, but... The numbers tell me what I need to know. And if it is, it's kind of a shame. He doesn't even play on their first line with Barkov anymore. And I, I don't know why that is. Maybe Andrew Brunette likes to split up his team because he has so much talent. But could it also be that Barkov's one of the best two-way players in the league? And if you want to use him in a shutdown line again in the playoffs, you just can't have Huberto playing with him. That's a great point. I didn't think of that. You can. And maybe you sacrifice some offense, but I'd rather have a, a line with Barkov and guys who are going to help on the defensive end and still potentially score some goals than have a sh- quote-unquote shutdown line with a guy who's not going to skate back. A hundred percent. Like when we think about defensive aspects um, with respect to the heart, like that's why Austin Matthews is so special. Like we've alluded yeah. to it. He's like one of the best two-way forwards in the league. And this year he's going to put up like 55 goals and 110 points. So he's more offensively gifted than Huberto this year and is playing it at two ways. He's unbelievable. Yeah, it just it, it just made me laugh to see that like Huberto is that bad yeah. defensively. Like putting up a hundred points and you still allow more points against than for like I don't understand how that's possible. It shouldn't be. No. If you like tried. We talked about this just we were watching a Leafs game one night and we were just talking like defense is a mindset mm-hmm. i think if you were to want it to he could be great defensively because he has all the skills yep he just doesn't seem to maybe want to put that effort in I don't, again i don't watch florida games but shouldn't be that bad defensively yeah I, I agree so just to summarize like before we finish is like obviously at um walsh is going to be upset because he sees oh heart trophy equals most points um equals jonathan huberto um in the top three argument yeah but like the model says it all like the, you cannot be that bad defensively and win the heart unless you put up 140 points and lead the league by 40 points. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Is it time for 
for for trivia it's trivia time okay it's trivia time so see. keeping in line with one of our um beautiful topics this week about the the best lines in hockey um trivia is going to be in alignment with that we're going to talk i'm going to give you um progressive facts about a certain line and we're going to see how many facts it takes you to guess the line are you going to give me like greasy fourth lines or am i going to know these players they're, they're notorious lines they're first okay. line players um so um the first thing I am going to give you for line one is that you have a three-time Stanley Cup winner down the middle um, and an Olympic gold medalist. This is the easiest one. Oh, that's the first clue? That's the first clue. So you can either ask. The way that this is going to work is that you can either guess it or um, if, if you guess it wrong, um, you're done. Or you can ask for a second clue and we'll see how long you go. Okay. I'm trying to think of three-time Stanley Cup champ, Senderman, and two come to mind. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taves and Sidney Crosby. Jonathan Taves isn't Jonathan Taves anymore. So I'm just going to guess this is the Crosby line. But I could, I, if if not, I would guess Taves. Yeah, so these aren't the best lines. Um, They're just lines. So the way that this is going to work is that if you aren't 100% certain, you can ask for a second clue. Okay. Or you can keep going. Okay, because I've narrowed it down to two, let me just take the second clue. That way I can be sure about myself. True. <laughs> the second clue actually doesn't help you. There's two Americans on the wings. Okay. It might help you. Well, the thing is, I don't know who Jonathan Tapes plays with. Mm-hmm. And I know Crosby plays with two Americans. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say Crosby just because I don't know who Tapes plays with. There you go. Correct. Crosby, okay. Rust, Gensel. Um, the, the last two points I was going to give you about which way the wingers shoot. You're kind of crazy with this. Which way does Rust and, and Gensel <laughs> shoot? Rust is a righty and Gensel's a lefty. It's just insane. Like, I, I don't understand how you know that. But good good on you. So anyone else listening, um, comment on Twitter. See if you beat Steph again. Um, he's been pretty good with this recently. I just, I don't know how you guess the players, like, ways that they shoot. Like, how do you know that? I don't know. I'm a sicko. You're a sicko. Um, Okay, moving on to line number two. First point. So these are going to get progressively harder. But anyways, moving on to the first point. All three players on this line have one Stanley Cup. Oh, my gosh. That can be any line in the league. I need a second clue. Need a second clue. Okay. There's two Russians, and one of them are down the middle. The other winger is from Toronto. Oh my! From Toronto, he was born here. Yeah, two Russians and a guy from Toronto, and and one of the Russians is down the middle. Ooh, okay, I know what this is. Okay, this is this the Capitals' first line, right? Witcher. With the say it, Ovi Kuznetsov and Wilson. There you go, Ovi okay. Kuznetsov Wilson. So the 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 last two points I was gonna give you is that one of these players is a rat. Tom. Tom. There you go. <laughs> and then lastly, one of them is a is a multiple time Rocket Richard winner. Which okay. I think we know Tom Wilson's won the Rocket Richard, what, 10 times? Yeah, at least. <laughs> okay, so the last one I'm going to give you is, um, we'll start it off with tip A. On the left, he is American. On the right, he is American. And down the middle, he is Finnish. Talk to me a little bit about when you want another clue, like what lines are like being narrowed down if you have any. Finnish centers, like the ones that come to mind are like Aho and Barkov. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they play with Americans. So that's what I'm thinking right now. It's not them. I think I need some more clues so I can, I don't know. True. So the guy on the, no, I'm not going to give you this clue because I, I, I gave this away already. Um, The guy on the wing used to be a captain for another team. You didn't tell me the team? No. No, I can't tell you that, the team yet. Okay. Oof. That would have been way too obvious. Okay, fair. So one of these two Americans is a captain. No longer the captain of the team he plays on. Not, okay. Okay. Uh, 
I think I need a third clue. Okay, clue number three is they play in the central. In the central, okay. Finnish guys in the central. Captain. Also, there's a reason why this is the hardest one. Okay. Um, in the central, who's there? Winnipeg. I don't think they have any Finns. Um, the Wild. I don't think they have any Finnish centers. Who else is there? You got two more clues after this. Two more clues. Okay, give me one more. Okay. Um, the team that the winger was a captain on was San Jose. Oh. Do you got okay. it? Okay, I think I know now. Who is it? If I don't get this right, I'm going to give up. Is, it that, is that guy Pavelski? It's Pavelski, okay. yeah. So I guess the line would be Robertson, Hints. And Pavelski, who I brought up in that segment, yeah. so I don't know why I had a big brain fart. But so at first, the second point at first was going to be the guy on the left was second in, in in the rookie of the year race last year and got beat out by a rookie phenom who's insane again this year. But we already said that that was Robertson, so yeah, you I didn't, I didn't want to give that away. I mean, okay. two for two for three, and you got the first one off the the sec two clues and the second one off two clues. So I mean, that that, that that last one gave me a run for my money. That, that was a tough. That one. was a tough one. All right, moving on to um, fantasy face off to end off the the episode okay. let's hear yours first so i have jake debrusque as my guy jake debrusque okay i have him there because he's now playing on the first line with marchand and bergeron i think he's under 30 percent owned in on yahoo fantasy i think it's under 30 i could be mistaken it could be under 40 mm-hmm. but still relatively low he'd be good for if he stays on this line for the time being it'll be good for guys trying to make a playoff push or guys maybe who need some more scoring guys some good better forwards and especially in the near future because they play chicago arizona chicago and minnesota who's been terrible for the next four games so when he's playing on that line i could see him putting up a few points in these next four games i like that pick who do you have i have our boy uh nick schmaltz oh gosh (laughs) historic nick historic nick schmaltz i mean first of all they play this week the 10th the 12th the 14th and the 15th um they're playing struggling toronto's goaltending they then play ottawa and montreal um the, the schedule is favorable this guy's on the biggest tear i've ever seen in my life crazy arizona has scored like 17 goals in the last two games and he has 11 points in, in those two games um <laughs> plays beside a red hot clayton keller i know you love clayton keller yeah it's my boy um he gets so many minutes because there's literally nobody else yeah, on that team so bad. <laughs> plays power play one i mean i think you get him on the short term you ride with him for a bit and see if like mm-hmm. they can continue it if your li- if your um if your fantasy league values plus minus maybe stay away from anyone on Arizona, but like yeah this guy's been doing like some crazy stuff yeah. over the last two weeks. It's more of a short term pick for me. That's a it's a great that's a great call. Yeah. yeah, see if he sticks around for like three games. They play terrible teams. Okay, yeah. Toronto's not terrible, but Defend- goaltending is goaltending. They're terrible. Yeah. I mean your pick is more of a long term play because if yeah. Boston doesn't go for it, like he can get traded, right? He he asked for a trade last I think in the off season. Yeah, so if if they start to drop out of the race or whatever, they if they trade them, yeah, you never know where he'll end up. So yeah. it's a good that's a good, good good call as well. All right, there we go. Um, fantasy face off done. Uh, any any last words before the episode comes to a conclusion? I can't think of any. I think I'm saying we stand Don Lachesnin. Yeah, get, we do get uh, Jonathan Huberto out of the out of the heart yeah. trophy race. Heart trophy. Side note: Before we end, I think the definition of it is slowly changing away from who puts up the most points to like the true definition 
And this is going to be a seminal moment in that history when we look back. There we go. I'm excited. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, see you next week. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review podcast. We'll see you all next week.